Welcome to Hillside Community Church's weekly podcast. We're glad that you've chosen to listen to this week's message and hope that it ministers to you today. Hillside's located in Keller, Texas, and if you would like to know more about us or to listen to previous recordings, please visit us at yourhillside.com. And now, this week's message. In light of the fact that we're in Romans, and I've spent the last couple weeks focusing on the fact that the law cannot save you or change you. In other words, keeping some code of morality to impress God cannot save you. You can't earn God's forgiveness. In John Bunyan's book, Pilgrim's Progress, it gives an allegory of the Christian life. The main character is a man named Christian who's on this journey. And before he becomes a Christian, he's carrying this heavy burden. It's a load on his back. It is the load of guilt and sin. He's instructed by a man by the name of worldly wise man in the allegory to... Uh, to this hill, it's a very, very steep hill, that if he'll climb it, as he climbs, he'll feel the burden lifted. It'll get lighter as he climbs. And when he gets to the top, he'll be in a village, um, a village called Morality. And he is directed to go to a house of a Mr. Legalism or Mr. Legality. Somehow climbing that hill of this guilt and burden, the way to the way to lighten the load is to try to be more moral. Well, turns out as he's climbing that it actually gets heavier on him, so heavy that he doesn't think he's going to make it to the top. He's about to fall under the weight of his guilt and his sin. Just at that time, Mr. Evangelist comes along and sees him struggling with this burden underneath him and directs him a different way. He says, why don't you take this little path over here and see what is there. And this is what happens. So he goes to the highway. He's up and he's, he says, Up this way, therefore, did burdened Christian run, but not without great difficulty because of the load on his back. He ran thus till he came to a place somewhat, of ascend, somewhat ascending, just a little hill. And upon there stood a cross. And a little below the cross in the bottom, a sepulcher, so I saw in my dream that Christ, or that just as Christian, came up to the cross that his burden was loosed from his shoulders and it fell off his back and it started to tumble and it continued till it came to the mouth of that sepulcher, which is really a grave, where it fell in and I saw that no more. Then was Christian, here's a great line, glad and lightsome. Isn't that great? Glad and lightsome. Out from under the burden of trying to impress God, he comes to the cross where he is offered forgiveness for his sin. And he doesn't have to earn God's favor anymore. He says, he stood still a while to look and wonder. It was surprising to him that at the sight of the cross, it should ease him of his burden. He looked, therefore, and looked again, even till the springs that were in his head sent the waters down his cheeks, and he began to cry as he stood there in awe of the cross. And he sang this. Thus far did I come laden with my sin, nor could aught ease the grief that I was in. Till I came hither, what a place is this? Must here be the beginning of my bliss? Must here the burden fall off my back? Must here the strings that bound it to me Crack, blessed cross, blessed sepulcher, blessed rather be the man that there was put to shame for me. 
as he reflected on that, I thought it would be good for us to hear to reflect on the same thing as we take the elements to think about what Christ has done for us, how he has freed us. Let's stand to our feet. And as we take the bread, which obviously represents the breaking of Christ's body for us, remember what he says in that text, to be glad and lightsome. Jesus said that bread represents my body broken for you. And that this wine or this juice represents my blood spilled for you. Familiar with this old hymn, why don't you sing it with me, would you? At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight. And now I am happy all the day. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw
Well, we are in a study of the book of Romans, and we are in chapter 8, tremendous chapter, the first part of which describes what it means to be a Christian, what it means to operate in the Spirit, what spirituality is. So there's much to be gleaned there uh, by, uh, in terms of understanding the spiritual life. Paul, uh, for the purposes of what he's trying to say, divides humanity up into two categories we saw last week. Those two categories were flesh and spirit. So if you were not here last week, I'm going to sum up essentially what he has done. Here he talks about what, what, what life in the sinful flesh is like. This is life without God. So the first thing you need to understand about the two categories is you say, well, you know, I still have the flesh even though I I have the spirit in me. Yes, Paul understands that. But there is a sense and there is a level and there is a position at which, spiritually speaking, you do not operate here anymore. You operate according to the spirit, not according to the flesh anymore. That's what these stand for. All right, so you have been... You have been moved over. So the first thing that is critical to the spiritual life is understanding this is not who you are anymore. All right? The flesh, Paul said, remember, in the early verses right here? Let's see. Uh, I'll come back to that one. Uh, we walk according to the... If we walk according to the flesh and not the spirit, those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the spirit set their mind on the things of the spirit. And remember what he goes on to say. The mind of the, of the flesh is death. The mind set on the spirit is life and peace. The mind set on the flesh is three things. It's hostile to God. If you want to put it under that flesh. It's hostile to God. It is not submissive to God. And it's not even able to do what God wants him to do. So there's your three problems. So when Paul says you've been shifted over, you've been shifted over into a relationship with God, you're not hostile to him anymore. You're submissive to him now. And you're able to do what he wants you to do now. That's what's happened in this shift. Okay? And it's a decisive shift. When you become a Christian, something decisively happens in you that reorients you to life, to reality, to God, and everything else. It is not the same anymore. All right? Now, let me take you to, let me see if I can help you understand just a couple of things regarding this. What this means is now as a Christian, as a Christian now, God's life, God's life is now open to me. Because the Scripture says that the Spirit comes to dwell inside of me. All right, that's what he says in verse 9. Let's see, here it is. Look, he says, Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed, if the Spirit of God dwells in you. So what we're talking about is God's life has come to live inside of you. Remember I said last week, that there are some people who refuse to become a Christian because they don't want to live up to God's standards. They don't think that they can do it. Man, I don't want to become a Christian because I can't live like that. Well, that's the point. 
until you get shifted over it and the Spirit comes inside of you and reorients your life to where you want to do what God wants you to do, of course you can't. But the Spirit enables you to be able to do it. All right, so he dwells in you. So what's happening spiritually is God's life is literally taking over yours. It's like a spiritual takeover. In fact, here's a great verse to memorize. It's one of the first verses I ever memorized as a Christian. Galatians 2.20. Look what it says. I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live. I don't even live anymore. You can't even call this life mine anymore. Look, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, right here, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. It's false. It's not even my life anymore. Right? It's not even my life. It's God's life taking over my life because his spirit is inside us. We said one of the things that the spirit tells us right away if we belong to God, let's see where that text is. Must be, here it is. If anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Paul hasn't told you to do anything yet. He's just telling you what the spiritual life is like. In other words, if you're living the spiritual life and none of this is true of you, nothing's changed about your orientation toward life, then Paul would say, maybe you don't belong to him. Maybe you think you know him. Maybe you're adhering to some idea of Christianity, but you don't know God. His spirit hasn't taken up residence in you. His spirit hasn't consumed you. His spirit isn't rearranging reality from the inside out for you. Maybe that's the problem, okay? So God's life has become available to you. And one of the first things that happens is this sense of belonging that's mystical. I don't know how to describe it. If I tried to describe it too much, you, you might lose some of the mystery of it. All I know is when the Spirit comes to live inside of you, here's all I can say is you know it. You know it. You don't have to try to find him. You don't have to try to figure it out. You know it. He's in there because something's different about the way you're looking at things. All right? His presence dominates your life. That's the whole idea of Galatians 2.20. It dominates your life. You don't see yourself the same anymore because of his presence. Almost the first thing he does, he gives you the sense of presence and then you start to see your identity is different. So, uh, kind of, when I was in, uh, when, uh, just a few years back, maybe eight years ago, actually, I was in Orlando, and I was uh, with a bunch of my family who lived there, and they wanted, uh, I think it may have been our last night, I don't know, we went out to P.F. Chang's for dinner. And uh, while we were sitting there having dinner, uh, this big party comes in and sits down right behind us, and it's Shaquille O'Neal and his family. This is when he was playing for the Magic, and he was uh, uh, dropping weight and stuff like that. So they were sitting behind us, and I remember just, <gasps> oh, I could almost reach out and touch him where he was sitting behind me, but I could hardly focus, you know, <laughs> because he's standing right behind He's sitting right behind me. So I, I was listening in on the conversation. I'm watching every now and then. I'm watching him because his presence is, 
you know, you could feel his presence right behind you, and you couldn't focus on anything because he was there. And I was just like crazy. He went to the bathroom. I went with him, you know. I uh, wanted to just, just be there around him. And then uh, we were talking. My kids, you know, I called my kids right away. I said, you're not going to believe you're sitting right behind me. And they were like, no way on. And, you know, I think it was either Eric or Anthony. He said, put him on the phone, right? Put him on the phone right now. I'm like, God, what are you, crazy? So I'm listening to the conversation. I'm noticing he's only drinking water. Through the conversation, I hear this. I hear that he can't, he's not eating anything because he's dropping weight. So this whole family, he's got 30 people there that he's taking out to dinner. All he's having is a bottle of water because he's dropping weight. And I was just mesmerized by the whole thing and it's just his presence. And I thought after that many times, you know, how sometimes the presence of Shaquille O'Neal is greater than the presence of the Spirit in my life. His presence gets my attention. God wants the same thing for you. He wants the Spirit of God's presence in your life to be very real and to almost keep you aware of everything else around you is different because he's there. That's the idea. He gives you this sense of belonging and the sense of identity. And out of this grows a brand new approach to life. You don't see life the same anymore. All right? So the Spirit is working to catch my life up into God's. And this is really important. Not theoretically. I know many of us operate with a spiritual life. Well, theoretically, I should be different. Theoretically, I should be changing. Theoretically, I should be this. I should be that. I should be this. Theoretically. Because spiritually, there are principles that theoretically should be happening. But the truth of the matter is the Spirit is saying, no, actually, I want you to live a certain way. Now watch. Out of this growth and belonging come this picture here. The Spirit says, all right, the mind set on the Spirit, the mind set on the Spirit, and walk. So this is what we're supposed to do according to the Spirit. Our mind is supposed to be set on the Spirit, and we're supposed to walk. Let me just show you from a spiritual perspective what that even means, okay? Because it has everything to do with what the spiritual life is, all right? The first thing is, is the, the mindset has to do with your thoughts, the ideas, the things you think, uh, images in your head about how life ought to be, however life ought to work. That's your mental side, okay? They govern how you do. Listen, you don't feel anything that the mind didn't tell you to feel, so you got feelings dominating your life. There's a thought behind it. It's the thought that needs to be dealt with. Okay? you got feelings governing your life. The thought behind it is the problem. you got to change that mindset. All right? Walk so you don't do anything. Listen, you don't, you don't feel anything and you don't do anything without a thought behind it. Some mentality. All right? That's really important. So anthropologists tell us that your body operates in a landscape, okay? Earth, sky, water, air, plant life, animal life, and you're navigating your physical body through that earthly material reality. Well, they also tell you that your mind presents something called a lifescape over that. And it's your mind that dictates how you actually live in that reality. And however the mind produces it, you, you follow so the Spirit is saying, no, no, we, we need to change your mind about things so that we change your walk. Now, the word walk, okay, uh, it's almost so used in the Christian life, we're not really sure what he means by it. Listen, he means your everyday daily movements. 
Everyone can walk. It's not run the hundred. It's not run the, the marathon. It's walk. Everyone can walk. So it's daily movements of your life, the daily habits of your life. So this would be your thoughts, and this would be your habits, your everyday activities. The Spirit is not trying to change you theoretically. He actually wants to be a part of the daily movements of your life. I'm talking about daily movements of your life. So the Spirit is presented to you, and it makes the spiritual life possible. Let me say this to you. This is really, really important because here's another word that's used in light of this, and it's in verse 14. Okay, so we're jumping ahead in Romans 8 because I want to show you a verse. Look what he says. All who are being led. Okay, so that's a passive verb. You're not doing the leading. You're not doing anything for the leading to happen. The leading is happening to you. People who have the Spirit are being led by the Spirit. And whoever's being led by the Spirit is a son of God. So you could back that phrase out and say, if you're not being led by the Spirit, then what? You're not a son. If the Spirit isn't in you, reorienting you to God's life, bringing God's life to bear in your life, taking over your life, if the Spirit isn't leading you into that life, then you're not one of his sons. You can't be. Maybe that's the first hardened core principle. So what I'm trying to show you is that the spiritual life is not something you have to manufacture. It happens to you to a very large degree. It happens to you to a very large degree. What you have to do is learn to receive it. All right? But it happens to you. All right, so that's the first thing. That means the spiritual life originates with God, with Him, the Spirit. It's available because of Him. In other words, it's revealed and visible to you. It's an option to you because of Him. Wouldn't even be an option to you if it wasn't there. And it's possible for you to do what he leads you to do, what he, what he leads you to do, because he's there. So it wouldn't even be possible if he wasn't there. All right? So there are some of you who don't sense the Spirit. That would be a big red flag to say, maybe the Spirit doesn't live in me. And that's the first thing I have to deal with, is go to God, come to Christ, because when I trust in Jesus Christ, the Spirit comes to live inside of me. So the whole process is supernatural. There are some of you in here who... You just constantly buck the Spirit's leading. You like to dictate the terms of your own life. You love dictating the terms. And you call yourself a Christian, but you just, you just love dictating your own life. And so you grieve the Spirit. You quench the Spirit. You frustrate the Spirit of God in your life, who's trying to lead you to the life that God intended for you now that the Spirit lives in you. But you frustrate Him. Now listen, I mean, this is really, really important. I'm only spiritual to the degree my life is integrated and dominated by God. So let, me, let me hear you say that. Uh, not really out loud, but in your head. Okay? I'm only spiritual to the degree that my life is integrated and dominated by God. As I let the Spirit lead me and I do what it says, then I'm spiritual. You see? 
So I have to let God dominate my life. Now, let me give you an illustration of this. Um, So what's happening is I'm acting in response to, I'm not creating the spiritual life. I'm acting in response to the spirit in there. Um, Best illustration I have of this, if you've ever been towed by someone in your car, whether it's a nylon strap or whether it's a chain, if you've ever been towed, you know that the car that you're in is not running. Okay, so you need somebody with power, with energy, because you, you can't operate. So you need someone to, to lead you, okay, to pull you. And when that is happening, you know that you have manufacturing no power whatsoever. You're creating no energy or power whatsoever. You are being towed. So all the power is in the front car. All you're doing is following. And if you've ever followed, you know when your car isn't working, it's really, really hard to steer. And the brakes are not easy to use. And turning is really hard. And you've got to stay really focused because it's usually not a very long chain or strap. And you can't get too close to that car. You don't want to hit the car in front. You don't want to hit the guy who's towing you. All right? That's the last thing you want to do. And so you've got to keep the distance because you don't want to get too close and then get yanked and as he turns and stops and all those things. So you're, you're like this. There's no AC in the car. You are sweating to death holding this thing like this. All right? All your attention is on the front of that car. You are nowhere else. Nothing else has your attention. Okay, because you know everything depends on what he's doing in front of you. Because you're not operating yourself. He's pulling you. All right? That's what it's like to be in the Spirit. He's pulling all the power. All you're doing is paying attention. Okay? You're paying attention to what he's doing. He's there and he is leading. You're paying attention and following. In fact, um, I was... uh, if you've ever seen somebody towing somebody on, like on 35, I've noticed these two cars really close together. This was a few years back. Real close together. And I, I just said to myself, There's, I really hope that guy's being towed. Because that's way too close to be to a car. Got up close enough to see that, yeah, he was being towed. I mean by a very short chain. And I'm like, oh, my God goodness. There's hardly any room for, I was just marveling. I could have noticed the shoe polish on the back window, which said, caution in tow. All right, but I didn't, but I thought, what a great phrase for the spiritual life. We could just put it right on our forehead, right here. Caution in tow. I don't know what I'm going to say. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know where the Spirit's going to lead me. I could totally freak you out today, because I'm going to do whatever he says. You see, caution in tow. It's a great spiritual motto. He's leading you. Now, the mindset, okay, that we were talking about is a disposition. It's a bent. It's your approach to life. You pick it up along the way, all right? It's your inclinations. It's your orientation. It's how you you see and view all of the world, okay, all of reality. The walk is your daily routine, right? And I'm talking about daily routine. I mean daily routine. I'm talking about things like when you're driving a car, the spirit is interested. When you're doing your bills, the spirit is interested. When you're relating to your spouse, the spirit is interested. When you're at work and going about the daily routine of your life, the spirit is interested in how you're doing and what you're doing and has something to say as you relate to people. As you deal with issues in life, as you make decisions, the Spirit wants in on those habits. Remember, the Spirit is not dealing in theoretical. He's dealing in actual. So there's no spirituality where He's not actually moving you in some specific area in reality in your life. Remember what Paul said in Galatians 2.20, the life, here's a great phrase, the life I live now 
is completely dominated and taken over by another life. The life I, what's the life I live now? Well, everything I do, going to bed, when I go to bed, when I get up, everything about my life is now caught up in his life. Now, so let me say a couple things about this, uh, about this mindset for just a minute, because this mindset's governing our world. So this little silly story I'll tell you that I told our staff this week. Uh, when, I, when I grew up, I grew up in the home of a, of a dog lover. Mom was a dog lover, an animal lover, really. It could be any animal. Um, and uh, because, so we had strays all the time. Uh, we'd stop and help animals that looked hurt or lost. This was a constant in our lives, okay? So a lot of the dogs we had, we picked up, all right? Um, and, uh, and she loved them so much, and it just got into my blood a little bit about, you know, how, how you treat an animal, what's right. And, and as I grew up, you know, I realized uh, that I have that in me just a little bit, that I, I really do love animals. I don't dictate my life kind of like they did my mom's, but I, I love animals. Uh, when we, she had, we had two horses when I was a kid. I'll give you a little window into this. Uh, and when my father left, I remember that she had to sell one and that she just really hung on to this last one. Natasha was the name of the horse. She didn't want to get rid of it, but we couldn't afford the barn anymore. So she brought it to our backyard in this little neighborhood. Just imagine, okay? Uh, and so this is not a neighborhood you have a horse in. It looked really out of place, okay, if you had a horse in the backyard. Well, any time that we could, we realized somebody might get us in trouble, she brought the horse in the house. Okay, so, I mean, you could be, you could be eating a can of raviolis with a horse standing right there looking at you. All right, that was our life, okay? When I talk about my mom, she has 12 chihuahuas right now that follow her around everywhere, all right? So uh, she loves animals. And I always believed that as I got dogs, I always had this thought in my head, this is a silly thought, that dog runners, because of my experience, I was real skeptical about dog runners because I saw some dogs mistreated in a dog runner. You know what a dog runner is. It's just a little fenced-in area that a dog's allowed to run and he can't roam free anywhere it wants to go. Well, I've always believed that, you know, there's something wrong with a dog runner that's not healthy. This doesn't feel right. This is my experience growing up with the kind of mom I did. Uh, my mom would never mistreat a dog or anything like that, and I just felt like it did. And so I have these dogs in my backyard, and they just tear it up. They tear up the furniture. That The yard doesn't look as good as it can. I can't plant flowers because anything color they eat. Uh, I've tried the spray and the, and the powder, you know, to keep dogs away from certain things. Um, I've, you know, um, I have grandiose ideas about what to do. But the fact of the matter is I let them run my world, and my wife's tired of it. And so she said, we need to get a dog runner back there. And I go, hey, everything in me goes, dog runner, dog runner, no, no dog runner, no dog runner. Okay, that's everything in me saying that. And she sends a dog trainer to me two weeks ago out here to the uh, uh, little booth out here where I stand and guess information display, and this lady walks up to me, dog, Janine Baguette, who trains dogs, is very good with dogs, and, you know, talks about how the kennel and the dog runner can really work in your favor, that you shouldn't let your dogs out in your backyard to roam when you're not there, because they'll destroy it. They have no, no sense of what's right and wrong. They can only be out there when you're out there, otherwise they'll tear it up. And there's nothing wrong with the dog runner, so, so as long as you use it appropriately, that kind of thing. It's just a silly thing, but it just start, dawned on me, and I've let these dogs, because of one idea, I've let these dogs destroy my backyard and, and potentially ruin my marriage. 
okay, over a stupid dog because of one idea in the back of my head. Now, here's the reason I'm telling you the story. How many of those stupid ideas do you have in the back of your head that ruin your life? They just roam the backyard of your life and tear it up. Things that are valuable, but the idea has got you stuck. It's like an idea grip. Just can't get out of it. So, what the Spirit is doing is coming alongside you and poking holes in some of your thinking. Questioning the fundamental assumptions that you make about life. All right? So, let me give you a couple of the things that you might put in there, in this category. Uh, let's go with, um, I'm going to ask you to pick one that's on the surface of your head right now. Because you have an idea or a thought. It could be about any subject in the world that's destroying the way you should be living for God. And it could be a desire. As we all have them. And the truth of the matter is, not all the desires we have are healthy. Is that true? Isn't that right? Not all the desires we have are healthy. Okay, so we have to be able to let the Spirit poke holes in those things. Get desires for money, sex, pleasure, food, any subject you want. Just pick anything you want. Popularity, fame, power, anything. All right? Uh, how about fears? How many fears dictate our life? The fear of loneliness, the fear of being needy, the fear of looking helpless, the fear of coming across wrong, the fear. How many fears govern our lives? And how many of these fears, to some degree, are ruining our lives because they dominate us? And how about values? It could be anything that you value. It could be a political issue. It could be a political theme. It could be a political anything. It could just be anything you value that people who know you know that matters to him or that matters to her. All right? Or it could be uh, ideas in your head about yourself. How many of you have the ideas about yourself that, you know, I'm a, I'm a practical person. That's just what I am. I'm a practical person. Everybody knows me to be a practical person. Okay, well... That's great, because you see yourself as a practical person. You see somebody who's going to do it right, and if it's not practical, you're not going to do it. Now, how, how, how much does the Spirit really have to work there? Are you too practical for the Spirit to use you? Does it have to be practical? Or what about you say of yourself, I'm a man of action? Okay. I wonder if the people in your life would say, hey, maybe you ought to slow down on the act because you're doing some dumb stuff, Mr. Man of Action. How about think a little bit better? You know, we'd like you to be a man of thought. And for those of you who are men of thought or women of thought and you're proud of yourself that you think through things, that you're better at others at thinking through things. And you, it makes you a better decision maker. How many people would rather you say, hey, you know, Mr. Thoughtful, how about doing something today instead of thinking about it or poking holes in how I'm thinking about it? You see what I'm saying? A lot of the ideas that we have that we feel are right are dominating our life and they're not allowing the Spirit to move us. And they could be thoughts about God, thoughts about spirituality, thoughts about life, thoughts about people. Some of us have ideas in our head. We're Christians, and we have these kinds of ideas in our head, and the Spirit hasn't been able to get through any of them. And these are literally crossways with God himself and his word. You have thought like this. Some of us have ideas like, uh, you don't even believe the whole Bible's true. You claim to know God. You claim to know Jesus Christ. If you don't, that's fine. You don't have to believe the whole Bible's true. But if you do claim to know him, and you do claim to follow him, but you're struggling with the Bible, that's one thing. But to not believe all of it's true, I can believe Jesus died on the cross for my sin, and I can trust him with my entire eternity. But don't tell me Jonah got swallowed by a whale. 
What is that? How do you know the, it's not the opposite? Jonah really did get swallowed by the whale, but Jesus didn't die on the cross for your sin. How do you know which one's right? Were you going to pick and choose? You might have picked the wrong thing, monkey. Isn't it like you to pick the wrong thing? It's like me to pick the wrong thing. All right, so how about this? Church doesn't need me. I can attend it, but the church doesn't really need me. I know a lot of people have gifts, and I know a lot of people use their uh, abilities for God and that kind of thing, and a lot of people like to be connected. So, but I, the church doesn't really need me. And you're the only one. In your head, you just think, oh, I'm just exempt from that. You are crossways with a lot of biblical text that you could not stand under the weight of if you let them hit you. Or how about, uh, it's okay to sleep with someone you're in love with. You claim to know God, but it's okay with you. You see rationale behind it. You can come up with philosophical reasons, practical reasons, why you really ought to be sleeping with people if you're not married. So you can figure some stuff out because you want this thing to be successful. you got practical rationale for it. It's crossways with Scripture. Again, you couldn't stand under the load of biblical texts. I give my time, not my money. Hey, I wish that one was true. I wish I could take that one up with you. I wish I could be right in your camp with that one, but that's not true. And you're gonna, and you, you've bought into the idea. I don't know where you got it. You didn't get it from here. You did not get it from here. But it, but it, but it's how you function. And you've decided that's how you're going to function. It feels logical and practical to you that since you give your time, you don't have to give. And I'm not talking about here anyway. I'm just talking, you don't have to be a generous person. You're off the hook because you do other stuff. Boy, I wish it was that easy. I wish I could trade in commandment number 10 for number 2 any day of the week. I wish I could do it all day. can't. I'm just saying, the Spirit of God comes in and He presents God's life to us. His truth, His reality, His thinking, His ways, His ideas, and what He values. And the Spirit is trying to bring us over, overcome all of these ideas and thoughts in our heads that affect how we do life. Your marriages, the way you manage your money, the Spirit has something to say about all of those. And you know what the Spirit says? Brethren, we are under obligation. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to live in the flesh. That is not our obligation. In other words, I am not obligated to any of those old ideas. I'm not obligated to any of those thoughts. I don't have to do anything I used to think was practical and right because I'm so smart. I don't have to try to outthink God anymore. We're obligation for if you're living according to the flesh, you will die. That, that way of life is going to kill you. If you one of the worst things you can do is just trust yourself on it. Notice what he says. But if by the Spirit, look what you're doing. You're putting to death the deeds of the body. My body's doing things. I have habits and activities and things that I'm doing that are not spiritually healthy. They're not spiritually right. And the Spirit can't get through to me. 
But when the Spirit gets through to you, you know what it is? He kills. You're supposed to kill, put to death. The litter's mortify. Litter means to murder, to kill. Kill the deeds of the body. Kill off the things that are unhealthy and unholy in your life. That's what the Spirit's leading you to do. And how many of us are doing just the opposite? We put all our sins in time out and let them back out later. He's talking about killing them, putting them in a coffin and a grave and letting them go away. Kill that idea. Kill that thought. Kill that feeling. That's what the Spirit is leading you to do in his mind. So he might say, you might say something like this. You might say, well, uh, I, I would say to you, the Spirit might say to you, I know you want revenge. And I bet it feels really powerful and really good to want it. But I'm telling you, revenge is God's. It's not yours. Hey, there are times when I hear that and I go, yeah, that's great. And there are other times I hear it and I go, oh, I don't like hearing that. Hey, I know you think you've done enough in this relationship. But you know that little command about going one mile? Everybody goes one mile. I'm asking you, I might want you to go two. You know that little command? Sometimes I want you to go two. I know you think you've done enough. I, I know you do. But there are times when the Spirit leads you to go more. You know, I know they don't deserve it, but I've asked you to pray and to bless your enemies. That woman that sits on the board with you, a guy who lives next door to you, I'm asking you to bless. Those of you who love your lawn more than your neighbor, the Spirit's poking a hole in that thinking. But things like that. I think about Hebrews 11. Read Hebrews 11 and look at all the people who did the thing that nobody else would do unless the Spirit of God was leading them, unless they trusted God on it. Like Abraham sacrificing his son. Hebrews 11 gives you the reason why Abraham, we all say, I can't believe Abraham would do that. I would never do that. Is that the attitude you want to have with the Spirit, really? You know what Abraham said? Abraham said, well, if, if I believe God can raise him from the dead, that's how big I think he is. And because he's so big, I'll do what he asked me to do, even if it feels illogical, unholy, no matter what it feels like if he's asking me to do it. Doesn't seem logical, doesn't seem practical. I'll do it because of who you are, and I'll trust that it's right. If you say, revenge isn't mine, I'm trusting you, God, that that's right because I want to take it myself. If you tell me it's not right to look at that, I will not look at that. I'm trusting you it's not right. I'm trusting you it's better for my soul not to look at that. I'm trusting. But the Spirit is constantly poking holes in your thoughts and thinking. When I was in, uh, and I, I, I give you, just here's a thought for you. Right now, from where you sit, based on what I've said so far, in your mind, circle the one that just reaches out and smacks you grabs you by the hair and yanks it. You get one? How many of you have one? You know one. Okay. Very good. This is where, listen, when I was in uh, Swaziland, I'll tell this story pretty quick. When I was in Swaziland, the last day we were there, we went to this little park reserve. There was a guide who, who brought us there, and uh, let's see, I have some pictures. They'll, they'll put that one up for you. Here's a picture of our guide and then the truck that we were on, if you'll put that up. Uh, we were, uh, we had no idea where we were, Little park reserve, it was not a big, it was not a big, uh, uh, you know, safari or anything like that, the big five weren't there, but we got to see some pretty cool things, things I had never seen before, 
uh, and uh, we were totally subject to his knowledge and his direction and where we were and where we were going. So we all loaded in this part and totally trusted him where we were going. All right. At one point, he stopped. And I think the next slide is, um, at one point, he, gets, he stops right here and gets out and he walks to the right. We don't know what he's doing. He just says, hey, stay here in the truck. And he walks around for a few minutes. He goes, what we could see is a body of water past him. And he's kind of looking in this wooded area. And we're watching him. And in a few minutes, he calls us all out of the truck to come to him. And, and then immediately, I'm starting to make spiritual implications, you know, because I'm thinking to myself, well, I, I really like the truck. The truck's really comfortable for me, you know. Uh, I prefer... Uh, it's a little less work. I don't have to walk. I don't have to, you know, manage the terrain. I like being on a road. I can see where it's going. All right? So all those things. Sometimes God's ways are like that, you know? They're more wild than, hey, clear road. Okay? So we get up, we get up to him, and he brings us right up to this crocodile right there. In this free wild, it had to be, here's another picture of it right here, um, I can't, I can't remember how long he said, 14 feet, something like that. And uh, he said, here's the first thing, we all get near and we're all going. The first question in our minds was, should we, should, should we be in the truck? Because that was my first thought, okay? And then, and then, so I'm, you know, we're saying this out loud to me, and then he starts to tell us, he didn't talk a whole lot, this guy, the typical guide, I guess, and he just said, yeah, this guy, you know, he just told us off the cuff, this thing could outrun you to the truck. That's the first thing he said. All right, and the second thing he said is, this first leap could be 10 to 12 feet. And we were 10 to 12 feet within it. And I'm thinking to myself, what kind of guide are you? <laughs> Putting our lives in jeopardy, right? Because see, this is, this is unique about me. I know it's unique about me. I was born in, with an innate crocodile phobia. I know it's very unique, but I just have it, okay? So I'm, you can imagine, I'm in the back of this pack, all right? Watching, because I'm thinking, uh, I get, the, the slowest girl's going to get eat before me. That's how I was thinking. <laughs> That's how I was thinking. So then he takes us all around the sides. Just imagine leaving this little area right here, going around this way, down to the body of water because he wants to show us one that's in the water. Okay, now I'm thinking to myself, this guy's on my left, you know? I'm thinking, truck, all right? And I'm, no, I, I'm not walking down to the water and letting this thing circle around behind me, okay? Uh, so I... I and two others decide we're going to just stay back right here. Hey, you go look. I've seen a crocodile before, you know, that kind of thing. There's one right there. So you guys go. Hey, see what you got. And they're down all the way by this body of water down at the shore. And I, we're up here like this. He turns around and notices we're standing in the nest, literally the nest of this thing. And so he, he tells you, you need to get out of the nest. Well, sure you do. And so, yeah, but I didn't even know it was a nest until the guide told me I was in a nest, all right? So either way, here's this guide, and I was thinking of the, the spiritual life, and the application to me was the Spirit of God leading me and, and taking me into wild places that feel wild to me because I have all these innate fears, I have all these desires for security, all right? I have all these values, okay? I value the road more than I do the, to, you know, the woods. I have all these ideas about that are, you know, in my head governing how I live, and the guide is trying to tell me, no, no, everything is fine. I've got you. There are times when he leads me places I don't want to go. And fear, it stifles my spiritual life. Because the Spirit says, what do you mean you're afraid to give that? You afraid to give that away? How many of you have ever been afraid to give something away? Let me see your hands. You've ever been afraid to give something away? 
Yes, because you think you're going to need it. You th- even though somebody else needs it, even though God prompts you to give it away, you're scared not to have it. That's what I'm talking about. They're, they're just crocodiles in your life. And that fear debilitates, keeps the spirit. The spirit's trying to say, no, come over here, come over here. You're going, no, no, no. And then he looks back and says, you're standing in a nest. If you don't do it God's way, what happens? You die. Isn't that what he said? If you don't live according to the flesh, you, if you live according to the flesh, you what? You're standing in a nest. It's safer to do what God wants you to do than to not do it. Even if it feels illogical. And so I wrote down to some degree in my spiritual life, this happens to me. I, I tend to be afraid and standoffish when the Spirit moves. How about you? Anybody like that? I'm like, okay, hold on a minute. You know, and you're like, ready to run back. You know, you live the spiritual life like this. Where's the truck? That's how you live the spiritual life. Okay, it looks okay. But that's you. All right? Or how about um, you have more questions than trust? Well, God, let's talk about that for a couple of years. You know, we'll just see if we all do that. I don't know if we all do that. I don't know if it's small groups for me or not. We have a couple of years. We'll think about that. All right? And what are you going to do for those of you who have a fear of people? What are you going to do in heaven? Holy bejeebies. You're going to tell God, I can't. Hey, look, I know you're having a big meeting today with everybody. I'm just not feeling too good, you know. I really want to just be alone today. <laughs> not going to happen, people. All right, listen, how about this? You're almost too practical. You're just too practical. You have too strong a sense of how things are supposed to be in this life that God can't come and divert you at all. This is how people should be. This is how people should act. This is how life should go. This is what I should do. And I know it, and I've got it, and leave me alone, spirit. Or you just flat prefer the easy stuff. you just rather stay in the truck on a road you can see than get off into the wild when the Spirit calls you. I want to give you two quick ways. Two quick ways that the Spirit works in your life. Okay? Because you say, how does Spirit poke holes in my thinking and how does He get me to change my habits? Well, here's one of them right here. You gotta, you've got to read the Bible. Man, that sounds so elementary. But how many of you avoid it? You just flat avoid it. But you've got to pick it up and see what it says because it's going to say something to you every time. And it's going to poke hold in one of your thinking. Some thought or idea or value that you thought was that important and he tells you no. Look what Psalm 119, 36 and 37 is saying. Right here. Look how powerful this is. Incline my heart. This is David's prayer. Incline my heart to your testimonies and, and not to dishonest gain. I want to be more inclined and bent toward doing what you want me to do than to gaining stuff myself. We don't even have to go any further. We could meditate on that for a year. But then notice what he says in verse 37. Turn away my eyes. I don't even want to look at it. Things that don't matter. God, help me see things for once in my dadgum life that don't matter. How many of us would just love a refresher course on what stinking doesn't matter anymore? Gosh. And he says, make me alive in your ways. Get me out of the truck and with the crocodiles. Make me a crocodile hunter. Look at the message. Look at the message says. Give me a bent for your words of wisdom and not for piling up loot. Isn't that great? 
It's refreshing. Your soul hears it. It's like water. Look, divert my eyes from the toys and trinkets. Invigorate me on the pilgrim way. That's Psalm 119. Let me just tell you, you could meditate in Psalm 119. He says the greatest things you'll ever hear in your life about the subject we're talking about in just Psalm 119. It's the longest chapter in your Bible. You can meditate on it for a long time. Verses 33 to 38 of the phenomenon, 39. The second way is people. When you're around people who love God and they've they're doing something and you go, oh, I should be like that. Oh, I should think like him. I want to be around guys like him because he thinks the way I should think. And this, and you find practitioners of the faith who are doing it and learning and growing. So I had a conversation with a friend this week who gave a verse to me. And the verse was this. Godliness with contentment is great gain. 1 Timothy 6.6. 6. When I heard it, when I heard it, we had a moment because I can, I can think of a million ways I'm discontent. I can think of a million times when godliness does not feel like great gain to me. It feels like the worst loss in the world to act like he wants me to act. Evan, don't you feel that way? You got to be kidding me, God. That does not feel like gain. It feels like loss. I feel like I'm losing in my marriage. I feel like I'm losing in my money. I feel like I'm losing in my life every time I obey you. And that phrase, godliness with contentment, is great gain. I want to know the gain of those two things. And all someone had to do was say it. I didn't have to read it myself. I was with uh, Tom Schultz. Whenever I'm with Tom Schultz, we have lunch about maybe once a month, I guess. He leads our CR. He's just one of the great followers of Christ. And he challenges me every time I'm with him. He doesn't always know it, but he does. And this week, we're talking about the steps in recovery, which I have been through before. I've studied pretty significantly. And I've even done some of them before. But he challenged me on the fourth one. He just happened to be talking about the fourth one, which is take inventory of your life. And I thought, you know, I really ought to stop and take inventory of my life again. I ought to go into my heart and see some of the dark things that aren't working and just admit some sin. And he said, just write them down like you would write them if you knew no one was ever going to read them. And then tell them to a friend. Whew, boy, I was a little bit of a crocodile. I was like, that's a good idea, Tom. I was ready to run. Okay? But I'm doing it. I'm taking the inventory right now. Because I'm interested in this and thinking, where's the spirit? Where am I slowing the spirit down? I don't want to be afraid to get out of the truck anymore. So, this journal was given to me on the trip to Swaziland. I'm thinking about how I'm going to use it. Well, I've decided I'm going to use it on this journey right here, starting this week. So I jotted down the scriptures in the journal, I'll jot down the scripture or the person who came up with something that maybe the Spirit's asking me to do or try. So I'm going to write four questions in my journal, and I want you to see what they are. First one is, God, what are you saying to me, and how are you saying it? What, what is it you're saying, and, and who's saying it? Am I getting it from the Bible? Am I getting it from some person who follows you? Where am I getting it? Maybe I read somebody, okay? Like I have this quote from uh, uh, Martin Luther, and I'll let you read it later, but it's a great quote. Okay, remember at the end of his life where he says, here I stand, I cannot do otherwise. Even if you kill me, and guess what? 
What did they do? They killed him. But I'm still standing here. I read that quote and I went, <gasps> I want that. Took that quote and I said, that's what I want to be. Okay, so the first one is, what are you saying and how, how did I get it? Did you read it? Did somebody tell you? Or did you read it in the scripture? What is my struggle with it? Why don't I want to do it? Why is it so hard for me to do? What thought is guiding me? What am I letting govern my life besides you? And then the third one is, did I actually come through and do it? Did I do it? Did I just flat out get out of the truck and walk up to the crocodile? Did I do it or not? Or did I bail? And then the fourth one is, God, how did, what, what did you show me? What did you do or show me? I got out. I got out of the truck, God. What did you show me? How did you come through? On the other, and listen, some of the greatest things about your spiritual life are, hey, I got out of the truck. I did something I never thought I would do. And God, look what he did. Look how he showed up. Look, how he, look what he told me. Look at the new truth I've, I've gleaned. It's changed my life. It doesn't happen if you stay in the truck. few minutes long, but you're only spiritual to the degree that your life is integrated and dominated by God. Not theoretically. Actually. Not theoretically. Actually. Many of us are theoretically spiritual. <laughs> actually let him broaden your life. Father, thank you for our time. Pray your spirit would lead and guide and direct us. Now we would obey in Jesus' name. Amen.